Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Sunbury Press publishes print, electronic, and audiobooks under a variety of imprints and categories available worldwide wherever books are sold. And now your host, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr. I'm at the Sunbury Press studio at the historic Christian Baker Farm near Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. My guest today is David Parmalee, the author of The Traveler's Guide to Chincoteague and Assateague. David, welcome. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, so I've been to Chincoteague and Assateague and know a little bit about it, but maybe you could kind of give us the elevator speech on what it's about. Well, yes. I've been told by many people that the wild horses are the reason most people know about the islands and probably the reason they choose to go for the first time. And I, I think that's probably true. But once you do go there, you learn there's so much appeal to a very small place. And a big part of it is that uh, it's a national seashore. So the beach on Assateague, which is the island that actually faces the ocean, the barrier island, is not only lovely, but completely undeveloped. There's not a hot dog stand. So around this natural paradise where the wild horses roam and where we have that lovely national seashore, we also have the little town of Chincoteague, which has a character all its own. So Chincoteague is a town. Assateague is the island, or? Well, it, in Virginia, uh, we have the eastern shore and what eastern shore people call the western shore, which is the part <laughs> facing the Chesapeake Bay. Right. So as you go down the eastern shore of Virginia, part of the Delmarva Peninsula, uh, you start to encounter pathways to the ocean. And in the case of Chincoteague, it's an island sandwiched in between the mainland and the barrier island of Assateague. Uh, gotcha. So when you travel from Chincoteague to Assateague, Assateague is entirely a nature preserve. Uh, you're actually crossing over a little bridge that might be 150 feet long. You might not even realize you're going on to a different island. But yes, Chincoteague is where you live, and Assateague is where you go, either to go to the beach or to see the horses or just to enjoy uh, the natural environment there. Yeah. Well, my experience, and I'm going to sound very naive now. So Mrs. Knorr and I went to Ocean City, Maryland. We wanted to take pictures of the horses. Of course, like you said, first reason to go. Uh, I think, I don't remember how far it was from Ocean City. It wasn't very far, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, something like that. Went for a drive through the National Park. Found a number of spots where there were horses roaming about. Got a lot of great pictures. Got some pictures back on a salt marsh of the horses in the distance. That must have been uh, Chincoteague in the distance or Assateague. Not sure which one. And uh, I think we had a great day. And I remember thinking, there's not much here. Uh, there's no hot dog stands. <laughs> I know there was a beach. Uh, we could have gone... Uh, sunbathing or swimming if we had wanted to. But we were just there to take pictures of the horses that day. And we were actually centered more in Ocean City, Maryland, and not so much focused on uh, the park and the horses. But it, it was a great diversion that day. And lo and behold, along comes your book, and it, there's like so much more to it. So my first question for you as this naive, uh, wayward traveler who ended up there just snapping holiday snaps, um, how'd the horses get there? Oh, boy, is that a question. Uh, there are two answers. 
one very mundane and one very romantic. And the mundane one was that back in the day, and the island has been occupied for hundreds of years, people have lived there, that back in the day, local farmers would keep their livestock on acetate without a corral. And once a year, they'd go out and collect them, brand them, count them, etc., which is what led to modern-day pony penning. And some of those animals became feral and formed a herd that belonged to no one. In fact, part of the story is the reason they did it was to avoid taxes. Okay. When the revenue fellow from the Commonwealth of Virginia or wherever came around to count their livestock, they weren't there. They were out on acetate somewhere roaming freely. That's the common sense explanation that the U.S. government favors, by the way. Okay, then it must the be true. The other story <laughs> is that the horses escaped from a shipwrecked Spanish galleon. Ooh, this sounds good. Oh, it's a much better story. I isn't love it? this one as already. A, as a writer, you're, now we're going places. Yes, there are hundreds of shipwrecks on that coast, and we know where they are. We can we can plot many many of them, and of course, many of them did carry la livestock. And there is a record of a famous shipwreck where the crew all survived, and a report was made, and records were kept. Uh, so uh, there are people who've written books. In fact, I quote one of them, John Amrine, in my book who has a book called The Hidden Galleon. It's 600 pages where he tells the story of where the horses came from. Wow. And he will tell you in long form or short form exactly why he believes that. See, I like But he's it. done some research and research, and he says the horses do have Spanish blood in them. So the, the idea of the shipwrecked Spanish galleon has a lot of credibility. See, I, I imagine the... the volunteer fire company, yeah. uh, which carries a lot of authority on the island, believes the shipwreck version i see so, so there, you pick the one you want there is controversy and i, I kind of like the idea of like this galleon with conquistadors on it and all this spanish gold getting shipwrecked their horses running free they're starving to death and there's like a pile of bones in a cave somewhere that has a chest in it full of gold doubloons that we haven't yet discovered and anyway i'm, <laughs> I'm going lot, off a lot the deep of end pirate lore on Shinkatik. it's not exactly <clears throat> uh an exotic place like perhaps islands in the caribbean might be right there are plenty of stories about shipwrecks yes yes uh, all right I, I guess i'm channeling a johnny depp movie at the moment okay so kind of coming back to reality whatever the source of the horses maybe there's a little bit to both who knows uh we where do you come in on that do you in the book favor one over the other or do you just provide both stories and say you pick well the the horses are fascinating and wonderful as uh, a natural resource uh, today. And they're cared for by the fire company quite well. And there are many people who are pony followers. Uh, for example, on March 30th, we just had our third foal of the year born. There's usually about 75 or 80 foals born in a year. And I interview uh, the woman, Darcy Cole, who's out on the marsh every day photographing that. And she's the first person to see most of the foals born. So whatever uh, stance you take on that, uh, it, it's just marvelous to see these magnificent creatures out in the wild uh, living a life that, yes, it is supported with vet care, uh, emergency food when they need it, but basically living the way horses have lived since horses evolved onto planet Earth. 
So I, I kind of like the idea that they are escaped from a Spanish galleon. I, I, I think I'm convinced of that. Yeah. Uh, but however it happened, you know, that was generations ago. And to watch their lives in that wild place is a real treat. It's something you don't get to see many places on the earth. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a break just for a minute. We've been talking to David Parmalee, the author of The Traveler's Guide to Chincoteague and Assateague. Sunbury Press Books brings you the work of independent authors. If fiction, whether historical, murder mysteries, or spy thrillers take your fancy, check out Milford House Press. The mysteries of Sherry Knowlton, including her series with Detective Alexa Williams, are Sebastian Bennett's The Final Yen, works by Marika Biagio, such as The Model Spy and The Point of Vanishing, Hilary Hawk's Ashes to Song, or Love, Faith, and the Dented Bullet by Carolyn Kleinman. Explore by clicking on the Milford House tab at sunburypressbooks.com. I'm talking to David Parmalee, the author of The Traveler's Guide to Chincoteague and Assateague. So whether the horses came from a Spanish galleon or were uh, some kind of tax evasion scheme back in the 1700s, we do not know for sure, but it all makes great lore. If I'm a casual traveler who maybe wants to get some great pictures of horses, kind of like my introduction with Mrs. Knorr, where are are there good spots to go, better spots than others? For photography? Well, my wife and I first traveled to the island in the 1980s, and at that point, uh, the horses were unfenced. They roamed the island freely, which they still do on the Maryland side of Assateague. That barrier island continues north, and the Maryland herd roams freely and may come up and steal your sandwich on the beach. But if you are in Chincoteague, uh, the horses are kept uh, away from the public so they don't get too close. You can tell there are horses out on the marsh when the cars are pulled over and people are looking at them through binoculars, which is a good way to do it. But an even better way is to do either a kayak tour, if you enjoy kayaking, or a boat tour with one of the many, many captains who do this on the island all day long. You book a tour with yourself and your family on a nice big pontoon boat, very comfortable, and they'll go out into the marsh and they sort of follow the herd and they know where the bands of ponies are. And they'll get you up very, very close. So you can see them and observe them closely without disturbing them in any way. And much, much better for photography. So everybody recommends either a kayak tour if you're adventurous or a boat tour to see the ponies up close. Yeah, yeah, my recollection. That would make a lot of sense. I know we got lucky with a few that were, and we were on the Maryland side. And I would say it was probably 2008, 2009, sometime around then. Yes. Um. Yeah, I, I know. I remember seeing a bunch out, way out, you know, in a marsh or, or uh, some far off, some far distant uh, location. It looked like would have been some great photography if we could be closer. <laughs> we didn't have zoom lenses that were that powerful. So, right, yeah, very know. common experience. So, why else would we come down here? I know the horses are the big draw, but it, it sounds like based on you know, you know you're, you have a book full of ideas. What would you say are the other main attractions? Well, that's been the fun part about writing the book, because we've been coming there regularly for years and years with our family. And it's such a great place for a family vacation. Uh, One of the uh, independent bookstore owners, John Richstein, who's downtown, says people frequently come into his shop because he's in a central location and say, what is there to do here? 
they want to ask somebody who seems to know what are the attractions there's no boardwalk no ferris wheel uh, you know nothing that you would associate with places in new jersey or places like ocean city maryland but it, as one person i interviewed said to me it's a great place to do some nothing when you vacation on chincoteague you relax there's certainly a lot of things to do but they're fairly low-key things to do enjoying the natural environment the beach uh the the smaller things that the island has to offer the people are a wonderful community they're very friendly they enjoy having you there the food scene recently is just burgeoning it's a wonderful food scene that is centered uh, not only on local brick and mortar restaurants who are excellent have been there a long time but also food trucks and there are probably at this point 12 to 20 food trucks there's new ones every year that are popping up with people doing really innovative and just delicious food and there's a whole group of chincoteague foodies i think there's 10,000 people in it uh, that I, I follow on facebook so it's a marvelous place to eat the natural environment is, is like nowhere else. The pace of the place is truly relaxing. You meet great people. And when you come home from a vacation on Schinkatig, you're relaxed. You don't need to unwind from your unwinding. It's that kind of a place. Yeah. Well, you know, when you were saying that it's a great place to do nothing, but yet you have 170 pages full of stuff to do. <laughs> so exactly, <laughs> we don't want to downplay it too much. But uh, right, it sounds like uh, all right. So if I'm coming down there, is it more on the Virginia side where this this food these food opportunities are, and maybe some of the museums and shops and things are, or is it spread out? Yes, or? yeah. Shinkatika is based around that. Uh, it's got a historic downtown. It's a lovely shopping district. Many many art galleries and art photography crafts of all kinds available um the food scene definitely is is based in the town of chinkatee and you can discover those restaurants you know as, as your taste leads you uh the chinkatee museum is a marvelous little place i mean it is so much local history in one spot we've got decoy carvers working on the island i mean right now carving decoys which Somebody might think of as a lost art, but there's still folks practicing it who are heirs to a tradition that goes back hundreds of years. What's your, uh, when you go down there, is, is there a particular place you return to or do you kind of mix it up and experience different things? Uh, Food-wise? Yeah, let's start with the food. Yeah, well, th this is a great thing. Um, local cuisine, and by local, I mean, going back to when the island was based on watermen, uh, watermen who harvested shellfish, of course, oysters, crabs, fish. Uh, these are folks who are cooking seafood the way their great grandmothers did, you know, using those recipes. Uh, so you, I mean, you, you just have a hard time finding seafood that delicious made that way. So definitely a seafood based cuisine. Uh, but the food trucks are expanding on that and going into all kinds of areas. Uh, our favorite place to go actually doesn't have a table. It's a takeout place called Captain Zach's. And we will order as we're driving down. Because sometimes there is a bit of a wait. Yeah. And these folks do take out seafood like nobody's business. Interesting. And uh, you mentioned a museum. 
Are there other interesting shops, museums, artisans besides the carvers? Like the art galleries you mentioned, um, is it more uh, local artists or what do they have? It is local artists. And you've got some of them displaying at the farmer's market, too, on Saturdays and Wednesdays at the Chincoteague Cultural Alliance. Uh, but, but you'll find art and crafts, artisanal pieces uh, sprinkled throughout the island. Now, are there particular events through the year that really draw? I'm sure there are. I know I actually know that because oh, yeah. I know your book, Definitely. but I'm kind of putting it out there for the audience. Definitely. Um, Chicoteague does know what it's all about. Uh, it's gone over the centuries from an agrarian economy to a waterman's economy, seafood-based economy, to now a tourist economy. Uh, but a very different kind of tourist, you know, a tourist who is seeking out that local culture and what it has to offer. Uh, so you'll see the uh, the decoy festival in the fall where you've got folks, an entire civic hall, beautiful building that the town has built, uh, exhibiting their work. Much of it decoys, but also other crafts as well. And two food festivals, the oyster festival in October and the seafood festival in May. And they're largely the same menu, and they're actually held in a giant local campground, a beautiful place, big trees. And uh, we were at the uh, Oyster Festival in October, and it drew over 25,000 people. That's a lot of oysters. Uh, where you're actually outdoors, uh, again, take out food, sitting down at, at a, uh, a table that you might bring with you or in camp chairs that you bring with you. Uh, eating seafood prepared by various civic associations and groups on the island who, who just do that every year. And it, it is about the most wonderful local event, event you could imagine. Wow. Well, while we ponder that seafood, we're going to take a break. I've been talking to David Parmalee, the author of The Traveler's Guide to Chincoteague and Assateague. We'll be right back. The BookSpeak Network brings you history through biography. Sunbury Press Books founder and publisher Lawrence Knorr hosts this program that takes a look at pivotal figures in American history, including the famous, the infamous, and the not-so-well-known. Lawrence is joined by Joe Farrell and Joe Farley, authors of the Keystone Tombstone series of books, available at sunburypress.com. History through biography, here on the BookSpeak Network. I'm talking to David Parmalee, the author of The Traveler's Guide to Chincoteague and Assateague, and I think we'll pivot to his novel some years ago when we first got in contact with David. The first book we published together was The Sea is a Thief. And as I recall, David, that also has a connection to this location, does it not? Oh, definitely. Um, it's a historical fiction based on Chincoteague during the Civil War. And one of the uh, very little-known facts is that this tiny island which is definitely part of Virginia, with only 200 souls at it, on it at the time, uh, remained loyal to the Union. And one reason they remained loyal was financial. The economy at that time was almost entirely based on shipping shellfish and seafood north yeah. to big restaurants in places like Philadelphia and New York, which is not that far away by sea. So had the island chosen to secede along with Virginia... Uh, their economy would have immediately come to a standstill. So for whatever reason, they did remain loyal. And there was a small Civil War sea battle that took place on Chincoteague, where the Confederate Navy sent a ship to blockade the island. 
And the Union Navy sent a steel gunship to send those folks scurrying back to the mainland, and they did that in a couple of hours. It was called the Battle of Cockle Creek. But the gunship remained in the channel doing nothing for about three months. So my premise, which occurred to me one day on the island, was what if the sailors on that ship made their way onto the island and one of them, a northern boy, met a local girl. So here we have a love story set in the time of war on Chincoteague during the war between the states. And that's the Sea is a Thief. I see. Very good. And uh, I know you also have authored some middle-grade hysterical novels about a substitute teacher. Miss Fiesenschneezen is ill. Miss Fiesenschneezen is fit. Oh, see, I stumbled on it. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> um so a pretty diverse offering here as an author. You, you range very wide from uh, travel guide to uh, historical romance to uh, middle-grade humor. Tell us a little bit about Miss Fiesenschneezen. Well, I had so much fun writing those books. I taught for a very brief time, but any teacher collects stories pretty quickly. And one fall... As my fourth grader was getting ready for school, I would write her little notes to put in her lunchbox and find pictures of various comical teachers, cartoon teachers or fictional teachers from the Internet, and, and talk about who her substitute would be that day. And one of them was this little cartoon of a woman with a pointer writing on the blackboard, and we called her Miss Fiesenschneezen. <laughs> okay. So, when Miss Fiesenschneezen is ill, she's got a cold, but... She keeps kind of escalating her way up through the medical system just to be sure it's not something more serious. And she ends up out for a week. But because her class is a tough class, no substitute lasts more than a day. I see. So they have to keep finding a new substitute each day. And by the final day, the substitute teacher is a penguin. <laughs> and is Miss Fiesenschneezen a hypochondriac or, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, she's okay. Okay. Uh, but you know, people love her. She's such a, a sweet person. Her, her tough class loves her too. She's the only person who can keep them in line. So they, they just keep sending her to a, a succession of specialists uh -huh. just With, to rule out something more was, serious. So was, just a little bit of a tour through medical bureaucracy. As was well. there uh, an actual teacher in your experience who was like Miss Fiesenschneezen? And I keep saying Fiesenschneezen because I like to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Not one, but I think she's a combination of the things we love and recall about our favorite teachers. I see. So she goes from being ill to Miss Fiesenschneezen is fit. So obviously the doctors say, hey, you got to get in better shape or something. Is that what the next book's about? Well, she's a tough lady. And the fitness campaign is not connected to her brief illness. But her principal, as principals will do, gets an idea one day. Oh, they do. He starts to want to get a little more fit himself, and he starts going to the gym, and he gets a personal trainer, and he goes for speed walks at lunch. And one day he mandates, we've got to pass the president's physical fitness challenge. And he puts Miss Fiesenschneezen in charge of it. And, of course, hilarity ensues. Yes. If, if any of us who took the president's physical fitness challenge probably remember it and not well. I, I seem to recall the president's physical fitness challenge back in grade school. I, I remember it having 
sit-ups and push-ups and things like that involved in it, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yes, the things you did generally uh, without a lot of competence in front of all your peers, mm. many of whom did them better. Well, of and course. That's what I, it was seemingly all about. I was one of the kids who could do all those athletic things, but I know some of my peers who couldn't. <laughs> right. I'm laughing. Well, Ms. Fiesenschneesen brings in a series of physical fitness experts. She yeah. and her, her uh, the PE teacher get together on this. And the, each of them tries to help the class become more fit unsuccessfully until finally they find one who strikes the right balance. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. So, David, I have to ask you, uh, what are you working on besides heading down to Chincoteague to uh, eat all that seafood in May? We will be back, actually, in July, and we're, we're so looking forward to it. Uh, but there there will be a third Miss Fiesenschneesen book. Oh, nice. Uh, most of us remember a school play of some kind, and for many of us, it, it's a fond memory of school, being in a play or a musical. So the principal, who's so happy with Miss Fiesenschneesen's efforts, finally, getting the class more fit, uh, decides she will direct the very first school play. And, of course, this is Miss Fiesenschneesen is the director. Ah, nice. Very nice. Looking forward to that. All right. David, it's been great having you. Well, it's been wonderful to talk with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Look forward to getting you back on after another Miss Fiesenschneesen novel is out in the market. (laughs) We'll plan for that. (laughs) All right. I've been talking to David Parmalee, the author of The Traveler's Guide to Chincoteague and Assateague, also The Sea is a Thief, and The Miss Fiesenschneesen. Ah! I had dang, I thought I could say it. The Miss Fies yeah, and Schneezen middle grade series of hilarious stories. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Check out our website at www.sunburypress.com for our latest releases. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive special offers and discounts. <laughs>